I'm going to have to apologize uh, to the first service because I, I think in the first service I, was, I tried to, to fit a bunch of stuff into the message. I tried to celebrate last week. I tried to um, go ahead and intro into the Easter series, the Easter focus that starts next week. Um, I tried to do a lot, and I feel like it may have taken away from the, the power of the message. And so during, during the, the, the break between services, I just went and prayed, and I spent some time with the Lord. And, and I felt like the Lord just was leading me to just focus on this one thing. And so that's what I want to do this morning. If you are in the first service, I believe the Lord works in spite of our weaknesses and our foolishness. Amen. Thank God. Um, so, you know, if, if you got saved in the first service and you're like, well, wait a minute, it kind of changed my entire life. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the, the presence and the power of God uh, moving in spite, in spite of me trying to squish stuff in. But I, I want to just, I want to slow down and I want to just, I want to just teach this out of John 9 this morning. And, and this is for every single person here, every person at House Church, every person watching, listening. I promise you will find yourself in this message. John chapter 9 is a, is a unique chapter of the Bible because it, the entire chapter details around this one uh, miracle that Jesus does. Uh, and, and I want to start at the end and then go back to the beginning. But at the, at the end, the, the culmination of this is Jesus makes this statement in John 9, 39. He makes this statement. He says, for judgment... I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. For judgment, this is Jesus, for judgment, I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Now, if you're not careful, you're, you're going to misunderstand the judgment that he's referring to. Uh, in this, uh, spoiler alert, in, in, in this word, in this statement, uh, he is referring to the only judgment that really matters in life. He's not necessarily talking about the judgment at the end days. He's not necessarily even talking specifically about the judgment seat of Christ that will all stand before Jesus one day, though this definitely applies and adheres to that. But he's talking a very, about a very, very specific judgment. Uh, and, and the phraseology even of judgment and the way that it's written, it's very unique. It's not written this way almost anywhere else in the New Testament. That he's saying that just his mere presence is going to create, in, in the end, it's going to create an atmosphere where judgment takes place. And what I want you to, just for a minute, I want you to get out of your head. Is I want you to get judgment being a bad thing out of your head. And I don't want you to think about judgment in terms of, of him saying guilty or innocent. I don't want you to think, judgment can be, I can make a judgment about you. You can make a judgment about me. Judgment is not, this is not referring to the wrath. This is not referring to punishment. This is not referring to anything like that. This is just referring to a judgment being made. And Jesus says, he says, his presence in general is gonna create uh, this atmosphere where a judgment will happen and his presence uh, in general creating this judgment is going to open up blind eyes and make those who can see become blind. And this isn't physical blindness. This is talking about spiritual blindness. And Jesus just says up front, he goes, my 
presence in the world, my presence in your life is simply going to create a, a moment of judgment. The heart of this is saying that, that when you, uh, the name of Jesus and the person of Jesus, the spirit of Jesus is so powerful that at his mere presence or that even just at the saying the name Jesus, that when you hear Jesus, that it, there is no such thing as a neutral response to Jesus, that his presence is so powerful. The person of Jesus is so powerful. The spirit of Jesus is so powerful that it goes one way or the other. Even when you go through and he, he, you, you talk about something like the end times or the separation of the judgment, there's the one road or the, the narrow road or the, 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 the broad road. There's the, uh, there's the goats and there's the sheep. There's the right, there's the left, uh, but there is no middle road and there is no donkey involved. It's one or the other, right? The presence of Jesus, this is what it does. And you ever met somebody that just, their mere presence changes everything in the room for the good or the bad? There are people like that. that they just are. I know one, he's one of my favorite people on the planet. His name's Andrew Fink. Anybody know Andrew Fink in the room this morning? If you know Andrew, uh, then you know that this, this man could just walk into a parking lot and it be, people be right on the cusp of suicide and then just immediately their whole life changes and they're happy and they're ready to go because just the presence that Andrew brings with him everywhere he goes. I haven't seen the, the pandemic. It was uh, about, a, about a year and a half before I, I saw him and I'll tell you um, just the, the type of person he is, just his presence. Uh, my wife has got an addiction. She's addicted to macaroons. Have you ever, it's that French dessert. They sell them at Publix. And, and they're, they're incredibly expensive. I'm trying to figure out how to get her in a rehab uh, facility because I'm not sure I'm gonna be able to save my way, invest my way, work my way financially out of this hole that we've dug with her macaroon addiction. But she has several dealers and one of them... Uh, is uh, Andrew's wife, Erica. Uh, she makes macaroons and, and sells them. And, and I would say, you know, you might be thinking, he's just throwing out a, a business for her. No, she has no time to make you any macaroons because she's got one customer who just week after week after week after week after week after week after week. I didn't go into this big of a deal in the first service because Courtney wasn't in that service, but she's in this service. So I'm just having fun with it at this point. She's right here on the front row. So she, she buys uh, her 700th order from Erica and, and Erica and Andrew, they were going to I had seen Andrew with my eyes in like a year and a half. And um, she didn't tell me that they were going to come drop it off at the house. And so I think, I think that I see a car drive down the driveway. And so I walk out my front uh, porch and I turn left to my garage and Andrew's just standing there in the thing and just, just seeing his just presence. He's tall. He's a good looking dude. And I just was like, ah! I'm so, I'm filled, overcome with joy. He runs up, he picks me up. It was weird. We were standing alone, two grown men holding each other. Like, I was just crying. I was like running around the house. I was like, Courtney Andrews here. Like, but that's just who he is, man. That's just, it's just he's just, oh, just, if you know him, you know him, you know what I mean? But everybody knows people like that. And we know people that, that their presence just, that brings it just a negative, just, you know, Johnny Raincloud, right? Everybody knows, don't point, All right? Be careful. We're not going to talk about the negative people, but they exist, right? They're, they're just walking, everything will be going fantastic. You, you walk in the room, you ask the wrong person, how you doing today? You leave depressed after it's over, right? But we just have this, the people just have this ability, this, this positive or negative charisma to just be able to, their presence creates stuff. That's what the, the, the presence of Jesus, the name of Jesus is so powerful and so strong that, that when you interact with Jesus, 
uh, it, you, you go one way or the other. It, it creates an atmosphere. It, it, it pulls you to it. it you, Jesus, there is no neutrality in Jesus Christ. Have you ever noticed this throughout history? There are, there are passionate you know, Christians falling out, and there are people who hate Jesus. But the neutrality, it, it, there, there is no neutral. Just being, just being okay with Jesus doesn't exist. That's why even in our current country, it seems like every other religion is kind of welcome on the main stage except what? Christianity, except the name of Jesus. And so uh, there, there's, I want you to understand that that's the presence, the power of Jesus. That's why Jesus said another statement where he says, I come. He says, you think I come to bring peace, but I come to bring division. And he said the, the heart of what he means there, he says, when I show up, it forces the human heart to make an eternal decision and an eternal response. And it is significant. And you go one way or the other. But the last thing that happens when Jesus moves in a human life is nothing. It's nothing. And so he's, he's saying oh, at the end of this, and we'll understand it more as we go through it. He says, I've come in. And one of the reasons that I'm here uh, and one is just to create judgment, a judgment that only matters. And, and this, is, this is it. This is what you'll see through the whole message, through the rest of the chapter as we go through it. You'll see that what Jesus is talking about here is not sin. He's not talking about judging you for your sins. Uh, the, John 3 uh, says that God so loved the world that he sent Jesus Christ, his one and only begotten son, into the world to save the world, not to condemn the world. And the reason he sent Jesus to save the world and not to condemn the world is because the world was already condemned in their sins. There doesn't have to be a judgment made on our sins. Our sins condemn us. That's why Jesus came to save us. So the judgment, the judgment here has nothing to do with sin, nothing to do with failures, nothing to do with weaknesses, nothing to do with this. We are all born into sin. We are lost into sin. The judgment here is about one thing and one thing only, and it is the response of the human heart to Jesus Christ. You'll see that at the end of this, by the time we get there, that the judgment he's talking about, what Jesus is looking at in our lives, he's looking at the way your heart responds to him. In fact, when we get to heaven, the only thing that will really matter in that moment is the way that your heart responded to Jesus Christ, not sin. Sin is the reason why we are eternally separated from God. But if sin is not going to be the reason why you don't spend eternity with God in heaven. The reason we, we will not spend eternity with God in heaven is because not sin, but because we rejected the lordship, the kingship, and the saviorhood of Jesus Christ. And I think that we get, I'm going to preach too, too long and too, I'm going to stop. I'm going to calm down because I got several weeks of messages and I'm awesome at preaching all six of them in the first 15 minutes of a message. So I'm going to stop. But that's the judgment that we're talking about, our response to this. Now, this story in John 9 is so unique and I'm, I'm going to read the first part. It's going to be on the screen. We can read it together. But the rest of it, I'm just going to go through it because I see the whole chapter. And I know that sounds, first time I guess you're like, oh, it'll go fast. I promise. Calm down. John 9, 1, I'm going to read this because I want you to see the heart of what Jesus is wanting to show us. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. Now, Jesus saw the man blind from birth. Uh, the man didn't see him because he was blind. Jesus saw him. That'll matter in a minute. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? 
His response was, neither this man nor his parents sinned. Not that they didn't sin at all, but that their sins were completely disconnected to the man being born blind, that the man being born blind was not a punishment of sin. And in fact, he lays the groundwork that sin is really has nothing to do with this conversation that he wants to have uh, with the disciples and what he's trying to teach us. Now, the, the, the heart of this, just so all of the, the longtime people in the room that like to call the people heretics, I want to be clear what I'm saying. What my point when I say that sin doesn't have to do with this conversation is that Jesus took care of sin on the cross. Okay, I want to I want I want you to understand that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, one of the last things that he said before he gave up his spirit and he laid down his life for us, one of the last things he says was, "It is finished." All right, I want us to say that together on three: one, two, three. It is finished. Now I want to translate that for you in the Greek. It means it is finished. All right, it means that everything that needed to be accomplished was accomplished on the cross. Through Jesus's death, his burial, and his resurrection, everything that was needed for salvation was done and accomplished. There is nothing that is needed for salvation that Jesus did not do or did not take care of. So there's nothing that we can do or need to do in order to take care of sin because Jesus took care of sin. So the only conversation that really matters is what we think about Jesus taking care of sin. Right? That's the heart of the gospel, is that there's nothing you can do uh, to save yourself. The only thing that can save you uh, is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And what saves us is believing that Jesus did do that work on the cross for you. And when you believe that, then you're saved. So I think even the way that Jesus answers this question to the disciples was to try to take sin and just move it over here just for a second so that we would understand that sin's not the main event. That sin is the thing that Jesus had to remove from our life so that we could experience true life with him. That Jesus did not come for sin's sake. Jesus came for your sake to remove sin so that you could have a relationship with Jesus. Now, what this tends to look like in the American church is that when people get all wrapped up in, in the idea of sin and the idea of salvation, they preach to you, teach to you, and lead you like salvation is the end of all things. It's not. Salvation is the beginning of everything Jesus Christ wants to do in your life and through your life. Part of the reason why churches are horribly boring is because they work everything in their power to get people to come down to the front to repeat a prayer after them, and then they don't do the one thing Jesus Christ actually commanded his church to do, which was to go into all the world, not save people, but let Jesus said, I'm going to save people. I'm going to build my church. You go into all the world, and you baptize them, welcome them into the family of God, then teach them and disciple them and prepare them and teach and preach the word of God and the Holy Spirit will make them holy and then there'll be this family of God, this purpose, this calling, this life, and this preparation uh, to be with Jesus forever. Salvation is the beginning of the blessings that he accomplished on the cross. Now, it's the greatest of blessings because sin has to be taken care of and our salvation has to be in order for us to know Jesus, but sin was what he was removing out of the way so that we could know God the Father, that he could fill us with his spirit and make us sons and daughters. That, that, that's the heart of it. So I wanna just take sin and I wanna just move it over here just for a second because sin was taken care of fully and completely on the cross. What matters most now is our response 
response to Jesus. Over time, the Spirit will transform us and we will become holy and sin will, I believe this, become fewer and far between in our lives as we get transformed into the character of Christ. So I'm not saying don't preach sin, all the people who like to take one minute of my clips off Facebook and criticize me. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that Jesus took care of sin. Now what matters is our response to that reality. Does that make sense? Maybe that was a little bit of frustration coming out. I don't know. I had a lot of energy drinks this morning. The time changed. I hate that. But there's the response here is what Jesus focused on. And you'll see that as he interacts with this blind man, this blind man has five responses to Jesus. Five. And you will see yourself in one of them. And more than likely, if you're honest with yourself and you let the Spirit just move in your life this morning, you will probably recognize uh, that you probably felt all of these responses towards Jesus over time. There may be a few here that, that, that haven't yet responded in, in the, the way that matters most, but I believe today could be that day. So I, I want to... I wanna, in verse three, it says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, I want to I hang here for one second because I want you to understand. Now, now, the common thought process, and when you just kind of read that, you kind of walk away thinking, okay, God allowed this man to be blind from birth so that he could heal him and that the world could see the power of God through Christ. Yes, but also no. It's so much deeper than that. It's so much more than that. The Bible says that Jesus did so many miracles every day, everywhere he went, that if, if they put all of the things that he did into books, there wouldn't be enough books in the world to contain it. So Jesus did significant amount of miracles. It says that he would just walk in by the thousands, crowd of thousands, and he would just be casting out demons and healing from the sick, and people would just be touching him and getting healed. So, so we, we saw the power of God significantly. What this is really saying, and what, what it actually says is that in this man's life, the works of God are gonna be made visible or made clear. That word display that's translated display in the Greek, it literally means to be made visible, made clear. It's saying that in this man's life, Jesus said, I'm gonna show you the way that God works in the human heart and the human mind. So yes, you see the power of God through the miracle itself because he's about to heal him, but you'll see as you go through the course of chapter nine that it's so much more than that. We're actually getting to see the way at which Jesus works in our life, bringing us from darkness into the light, bringing us from blindness into sight. Uh, the band needs to write that down. I just wrote a song right there. Did you hear the rhyme? All right. When they, six months from now, when they come out and they take credit for it, I want you to remember that right here, right now, that was my line. <laughs> band. After saying this in verse six, uh, Jesus spits on the ground, made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes, told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Then his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, is this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him, but he himself insisted, I am the man. And they said, how are your eyes open? So I want you to see this, that Jesus 
he interacted with this man. He engaged this man. Jesus first saw this man. This man did not see Jesus, nor did this man even cry out to Jesus. This man saw, uh, the, Jesus saw this man, went over to this man, and he spit on the ground. He started to, to heal him. Now, I thought it would be really cool uh, to just get in the moment if I invited a volunteer up, and I just spit into my hand and smeared it all over your face just to really get us in the moment. I thought the pandemic's officially over now, I think, so maybe everybody would be okay with that. But then I decided, nah, maybe not. But Jesus does this super weird miracle where he spits on the ground and he makes mud and he puts it in his eyes and then he sends him to wash. Now, it's important that you know that Jesus saw the man and that Jesus moved in his life and opened up this man's sight. Now, if you haven't gotten here yet, this entire thing is about spiritual blindness in spiritual sight, not physical. And so it's important that we recognize as we go through this that Jesus first found this man. Sometimes I think one of the greatest myths in the modern church is that we find Jesus. Not true. Jesus finds us. Jesus goes out into the darkness and gets us. Jesus goes out into the world and finds us when we're lost. Jesus goes out in the world when we're blind and we can't see, and he opens up our eyes and prepares our hearts, as Ephesians says, with power through the Holy Spirit for faith, to put our faith in Jesus Christ. That this man uh, was seen by Christ first, and Jesus moved in his life in such a way that opened up his eyes and made it possible for him to see and to know Jesus. Every single person who has ever put their faith in Jesus Christ needs to understand up front, it was Jesus that moved first in your life. It was Jesus who loved us first and made it possible for us to know him and to fall in love with him. It's the greatest act of love. It is, it, it's moving in someone's life that hates you, dying for them while they hate you, opening up the possibility that they would be saved while they still hate you, and then after that, they learn to fall in love with you. That's our story. It's the greatest story of love. It's the greatest story of grace. It's the greatest story of mercy that a perfect, holy God came to a lost, condemned world to save us while we were blind and while we were in darkness and while we hated him. What matters then is the response that we have to the work of Jesus in our life. Jesus found this man, did a work in this man's life, opened it up for him to know him, and then we see five responses. The first one was this. They said, how did this man's eyes open? Uh, John 9, 11, he replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked him, I don't know. The man's first response was a man they call Jesus. A man they call Jesus. I'm, uh, I know the name of Jesus, but I don't know Jesus. You gotta remember that he had yet to even see Jesus. Jesus did the spit mud thing and sent him away blind. And then he, he obeyed and he was washed and then he came back. So even if he was looking at Jesus, he still would not know Jesus. This is probably globally, this is the vast amount of the world's response to Jesus. There is a man that some call Jesus. There's a man that some call Jesus. There's probably people in this room right now or sitting at house church. And your response to Jesus is that my wife knows and loves Jesus. But to me, he's just a man she calls Jesus. 
Jesus uh, is a man my preacher knows really well, but he's just a man that he calls Jesus. You know, uh, Jesus is a man my parents know really well, and I'm very familiar uh, with the name of Jesus. But at the end of the day, Jesus is just a man that my parents know, but that I don't know. There are a few tribes and there are a few places in the world that, that may not yet have heard the name of Jesus that we know of or in the traditional sense. But the vast majority of people on this earth, they know the name of Jesus. Time is designated around the birth and presence of Jesus. ADBC. Somebody figured that out right now for the very first time. Schools are going downhill. That's a response. And that is the majority of the world's response. A man, I don't know him. I don't recognize him. His name is Jesus. There are some who do know him. I don't. But I'm, I, I, I'm drawn to it for some reason. Now, I want, you to, I want you to see what happens next. Now, I don't think that this is ironic. And this is something that the Lord laid heavy in my heart this week. And so I'm going to spend some time with this. In, in verse 13, the, the first thing that they do when, when he, he, you know, he's a blind man, Jesus interacts in his life, he moves in his life, he gives him the ability to see, and now he's asking about Jesus, they're asking him, and he says, there's a man named Jesus, I think he's moving in my life, I'm intrigued, I'm, I'm kind of chasing after him, I'm kind of looking in to the church, I'm kind of looking into this Christianity, I'm kind of looking into this name Jesus. I don't find it ironic that the first place people took him was not to the followers of Jesus, but they took him to religion. It says in verse 13, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had uh, made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees who asked him how he'd received this sight, he put mud on my eyes. The man replied, and I washed, and now I see. And the Pharisee says, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath and keep the law the way we see it. He goes through this response. Now, this is something I want you to understand because I feel this in my heart and I felt this all week. I think that there are a significant amount of people who have a moment where Jesus begins to move in their life. They hear a message or they have a conversation or they, they, they you know, have a, a dream. They have, some, they have something. Something moves in their life. And they, they get drawn to the idea of Jesus. For the first time in their life, they start to look at Jesus. He's, he's more than just a man other people call Jesus. And they start, to, they start to kind of chase after. And unfortunately, instead of finding Jesus, what they're brought to and what they get involved in is religion under the name of Jesus. And when they get in and they, they start to experience this religion, uh, they're, they're, there's this legalism. Even in, this, in the next little bit, they'll, they'll say, We're the, we adhere to the, the Moses. We adhere to the laws of Moses. We adhere to the commands. We adhere to this legalism. And, and people, they, they, get, they have a moment with Jesus, but then they get sucked into religion. And, and what they experience, they detest and they hate and they run away thinking that, that they're running away from Jesus. But in reality, they're just running away from religion under the name of Jesus. I think that there will be countless millions of people who spend eternity apart from Christ who attempted to go find Jesus inside the American church, but what they found was religion instead of Jesus. And when they left and they walked away from Jesus, they were not walking away from Jesus, but they were walking away from the religiousness and the legalism and the animosity and the division that exists within religion. And they ran as fast as they could away because what is going on in the American church and in American religion chases more people away from Jesus than it does attract them to him. 
And I don't find it ironic that in this man's life, that Jesus said, I'm gonna display the work of God and I'm gonna show you what this looks like and I'm gonna show you this path of salvation almost. He says, I want you to see that, that what will every single person who gives their life to Christ, you will have an opportunity to interact with religion. You will have an opportunity and more than likely, your life will go one or two ways. You'll run from religion or you will get sucked into religion, both of which though, run you away from Jesus because there's a different response. They argue and they debate about this for a minute. And finally, they get done arguing and debating about this Jesus and the Sabbath and the legalism part of it. And they get down in verse 17 and they finally turn back to the blind man. They say, well, he, he moved in your life. What do you think about him? What's your response now? After hearing a little bit about this Jesus and hearing a little bit about religion and hearing a little bit about legalism, hearing about this, what's your response now? And the man goes, I think he's a prophet. I think he's a prophet. This is his way of saying, I think he's a man of God. I think there's something there. I, I, I don't know him yet. I still haven't seen him yet, but I think, that, I think that he's a man of God. I think he moved in my life. He's drawn me to him. I, I think he's a man of God. I don't know that he's the Lord. I don't know that he's the son of the living God. I don't know if he's the savior or the Messiah. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Even, even in the minute, they talk about Jesus maybe sinning, and the man says, I don't know if he's a sinner or not. That's how unknown Jesus is to this man. But he says, I think that he's a prophet. There's a lot of people all across this earth. The enemy has worked hard to convince them Jesus was just a powerful man of God, but not the Lord. Every person who gives their life over and becomes a follower in the Islamic religion believes that Jesus is a powerful man of God, but believes that he's not the Lord and they are lost. One of the, mo the most given thought processes on Jesus in the world is that he is a prophet, but that he is not the Lord. That is a response. But believing that Jesus was real and believing that Jesus was even a man of God and believing that even he was a prophet and believing that even he was of God and that he was good, believing that he was powerful and even believing that he does miracles does not mean salvation. It means that you think that he's a prophet, but you don't know or believe that he is the Lord. This is the man's second response. The Pharisees from 18 to, to 23, the Pharisees still don't believe. They're still trying to prove the man a liar. They're still trying to prove that Jesus doesn't have any power. So they interrogate his parents. They interrogate some other people. They go through this whole thing. They bring him back for a second time into the house of religion, into the Pharisees. And they start going through this. Now at this point, this is taking place over the course of hours, maybe days. But this second conversation, they come back, they ask him all the same questions again. In John 9, verse 27, he answers this. I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Here's the third response the man has. Do you want to become his disciples too? So somewhere over the last few hours or days between the first conversation with the Pharisees and the second conversation with the Pharisees, this man decided that he wanted to learn about life from Jesus. That's what disciple means. It, it means a learner. It means a learner. It means someone, I, I want to adhere to his teaching. I want to know what he thinks about life in the world, and then I want to follow it, and I want to do that. I want to I be really clear here. This man, though he's saying, I'm a disciple of Jesus, I want to learn from Jesus, I like 
the things that he's saying and doing. I want to take the things of Jesus and the laws of Jesus and the wisdom of Jesus and the moralism of Jesus. I want to take what's taught in the Bible. I want to put it into my life. I want to adhere to it. I, I want to follow after this man, Jesus. I want to raise my children in a moralistic Christian home. I want to attend church. I want my, my political votes to lean towards what I see in the life of Jesus and what I see in scripture. I, 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 want, to, I want to learn from Jesus. What is so important that we see in this room, what is so important that we see right here in this moment is that this man's response is, I want to learn from Jesus, but he still does not know Jesus. He still has not even seen Jesus. He does not believe that he is the Lord. He does not believe that he is the Savior. He does not believe that he's the Messiah. He does not believe that he's the son of the living God. He does not believe that he's the son of man, as John calls him. He, he does not believe that he came to the earth to die on a cross for our sins. He does not believe that he has the power to be resurrected. He does not believe that he's a living and active king. This man does not know Jesus yet. And, and if you don't believe me, it'll be proven in just the next few verses. But right here, right now, he's adhering to saying, I'm a disciple. This is what we would call in this country a moralist, an American Christian, someone who attends church, someone who, who votes usually towards conservative matters, this someone who, who, who raises their family in Christian terms, but they are legalistic and religious at best. They do not know Jesus. This is the type of person who gets to heaven one day and Jesus gives the most stark warning that we see in scripture. And he says, they, they come and they say, Jesus, look at all the stuff that we did in your name. Look at all of the charities that we gave to. Look at all the miracles that we did. Look at how many Sundays I made at the church. Look how many kids I made go to church. Look Look at, look, at, look at all the things I did. Look at how many Christian t-shirts I wore. Look at how many Christian uh, posts and how many times I posted Bible verses on my Facebook. Look at all of the things that I did and Jesus's response is, but I never knew you and you never knew me. How does that happen? How do millions of people live their life like that, but never know Jesus? This is how. This is why Jesus gives us this warning time and time again. There, there is a difference in adhering to the moralistic view. There's a difference in attending church. There's a difference in trying to raise your family in conservative values because you, you agree or you think that that's the best way of life to look at Jesus and look at his teaching and look at his wisdom and say, that is good. That's the way I want to live my life, but then ultimately not serve him as Lord, God, and King. It's adhering to a philosophy. It's adhering to a philosophical way of life rather than understanding that he's the Lord of Lords, he's the King of Kings, that he's the Son of the living God himself, that he's the Word of God who was with God in the beginning and is God, that Jesus Christ is that which God spoke and created the whole universe for, that everything comes from him, is held together through him and ultimately for him, that Jesus is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. The vast majority, if I had to bet, the vast majority of people who sit on the American pews of the church every Sunday morning. They are learners of Jesus. They're moralistic in nature, but they do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, and they don't respond to Christ in this way, and they don't live their life in this way, because if every person in America who went to church on Sunday and said they were Christian actually believed that he was the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings and then lived their life in response to that, our country would be in a significantly different shape. There are people in this room right now, you are moralistic, 
and you know the name of Jesus and you know Bible verses and you've even raised your family in Christianity, but at the end of the day, your overall response to Jesus is just that, moralistic adherence. Not that he's the Lord of Lords and he's the King of Kings. And a few seconds after this, the religious leaders kick him out. I, I found this ironic that as soon as religion was done with him in verse 35, Jesus heard this and then Jesus went and found him again. So I think there may be some people in this room, again, you have experienced religion and you ran away thinking, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. I promise you that was not Jesus, that was religion. Jesus Christ is always looking for you. Jesus is never gonna stop looking for you. Jesus is gonna be right there with you for the rest of you. Jesus is doing everything in his, but Jesus is calling your name even this very morning to see who he truly is. Just because you ran for 20 years doesn't mean that today Jesus won't save your life right here, right now. Jesus heard that they'd thrown him out. This is verse 35. Jesus heard that they'd thrown him out and when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe in the Savior? Do you believe in the Messiah? Do you believe in the Son of Man? Verse 36, he says, who is he, sir? The man asked, tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. This is the first time that the man was truly aware that Jesus was the Savior, that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus was the Son of Man, that he was the Son of the living God, that he wasn't just a prophet, that he wasn't just a good philosophical, moralistic viewpoint to take on life, that he wasn't just a man that other people knew or called Jesus, but that he was in fact the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And this man in this moment was saved by the blood of Jesus Christ when he cried out, Lord, I believe. When he believed in his heart and believed in his mind that Jesus was Lord. This was the fourth response. I think the messaging this morning, I think what the, Jesus wants us to see through John 9, what the Spirit of God wants to teach us this morning is that if we are not careful, we will have multiple responses to Jesus, but never come to the saving knowledge of who Jesus Christ truly is, that is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And this morning, I want you to know, I want you to understand the presence of the Lord is here and the spirit of Christ is here. And I know in my heart, he's working in your heart. He's working in your minds. And if you feel him bringing a, a, a sense of conviction to your life, you know, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes to bring conviction according to three things. And one of it says conviction according to sin. But do you know the sin it describes? It says, I bring conviction according to sin. Sin, because they do not believe in Jesus. That, that the only sin that really matters when it comes to eternity is whether or not you believe that Jesus is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And this morning, I believe he's calling some of you. Submit your heart to him. Give your heart to Jesus. Where you come from doesn't matter. The sins in your life, they've been taken care of on the cross. You give your life to Christ, he'll make you holy over time. 
your mistakes, the divorces, the abandonment, the, the soul issues, the struggles, the weaknesses, all the things that keep you from just fully giving your life over to Christ. I'm telling you, everything that needed to be taken care of was taken care of on the cross. Jesus is looking. He's already done the work. He's just looking to save you. He's looking for you to, he's already saved you. He's just looking for you to believe it and to call him Lord and to confess it. This was the fourth response. And the fifth response, and I wish that the fourth in this response and the fifth response would always go together. But unfortunately, this is not the case. It says that the man said, Lord, I believe. And then the fifth response, he worshiped Jesus. The fifth response that we can have to Jesus is a life of worship, a commitment to Christ day in and day out, living our lives for his name and for his glory. Far too often, especially in our modern church, there's too many people who believe and give their lives to Christ and are saved by the blood of Jesus, but then go about their life living for themselves, living for everything else other than Jesus, that we're called to a life of worship. The fifth and most powerful response to Jesus on a daily basis is living your life every day in a worshipful mindset, living for the name of Jesus, living for the cause of Christ, being a part of God and being a part of his family and having intimacy with Jesus and worshiping him and praising his name and living your life every day, doing everything you do for the glory of Jesus. This is a different response than salvation. This is the struggle I have with the church convincing people that salvation is the beginning and the end rather than it just being the beginning. Then we get to live a life of worship. We get to live a life with the God who created us. We get to grow in Christ. We get to be changed and transformed. Our minds get renewed. We get to go through healing. We get to experience abundant, true life in Jesus. Salvation is the beginning of this. And what that life looks like is a life of worship, not a life of professing Christ this savior and then just attending church on a regular basis but living a life of worship and so this this morning I, I want you to understand this next verse out of all of these this is where the verse comes from for judgment I've come into the world for judgment I've come into the world Jesus is saying you've got to understand how your heart responds to me and he said nothing else matters Sin, I've taken care of it. It's been finished. Your struggles, your weaknesses, it's been taken care of. I'm finished. Even your doubts, it's been finished. You know, if you're sitting here this morning, you're like, well, how do I know the difference between legalism and between being moralistic and between being that disciple but not knowing Jesus versus living a life of worship? I'm going to tell you right here and right now. One of the biggest differences is that someone who adheres to the laws of Christ, adheres uh, to the teaching of Jesus, but does not know Jesus and they enter into religion, their life is going to be filled with anxiety, shame, guilt, unhealthy fear of God. They're going to be around every corner struggling, worried about what they're thinking about, worried about what they're doing. They're going to create a sense of judgment around other people. A, a life of Christ, the life that he's given us, the life of worship, the Bible says over and over and over again, it's one of peace, it's one of joy, it's one of love, it's one of goodness, it's one of kindness, it's one of freedom. 
It's not one of guilt, shame, and fear. This is the dynamic difference between adhering to the religion of Christ and being a disciple of Christ without actually knowing Jesus and being a moralist and being a right-wing conservative who votes under the name of Christianity but does not know Jesus is that you will be filled with anxiousness, guilt, shame, fear, discontentment, unsatisfaction. A life of knowing Christ and following Christ and living a life of worship is one of peace and joy and purpose and calling. And that, that's the dynamic difference of the way that it feels and the way that it looks. And so this morning, I, I, I want you to answer that question in your heart. How do you respond to the name of Jesus Christ? How do you respond right here in this moment? In, in life, you don't, have to, you don't have to tell the person sitting next to you. It's between you and God. How do you respond in this moment? How do you respond to Jesus when you wake up in the morning? How do you respond to who Jesus is? How does your heart respond when you go to make decisions about your life? How, how do you respond to Jesus when you go to decide well, you know, what you're going to do? How, how do you respond to Jesus within your marriage? How do you respond to Jesus within raising kids? How do you respond to Jesus when it comes to your career? How do you respond to Jesus? The, the truth and the reality of that answer is the only thing that really matters in this life. And so this is, this is what I, I want to finish with this. I want to I I end on this note. The man was blind. Jesus opened up his eyes that he could see. Jesus was a part of this man. He stayed close to this man. When he just said he was a man named Jesus, Jesus was still there leading him. He was still around. He was interested. When he said he was just a prophet, he was still there. When he said that he was a learner and he got kicked out of religion, he was still there and he came. I want you to understand, Jesus loves you so much. He came to this earth. He died for your sins on the cross. He is never walking away from you and he's never giving up on you. He is gonna follow you for the rest of your life. He's gonna chase you for the rest of your life. He is gonna, everything he's gonna do, the spirit of God is gonna work in your life for you to see the reality of who Jesus Christ is. So if you think that you can get out of this service and escape this moment, he loves you so much, you can never outrun the love of Jesus Christ. You can never outhide the love of Jesus Christ. I believe beyond the shadow of a doubt, the spirit of Christ will chase you from now for, until the day that you die doing everything in his power to get you to see the reality of who he is. I believe that. And if you're sitting here this morning and you've given your life to Christ and you think that you've backslid or you think that you've gone too far, you can never out the love of Christ. It says that there is nothing in this world, not a demon in hell, an angel in heaven. There's not sword, not famine. Nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus. Nothing can pluck you out of the hand of God. It does not matter if you're on your fifth divorce. It does not matter how you raised your kids. It does not matter. The truth is he died knowing exactly who you would be, knowing the sins that you would make, knowing the mistakes that you you would make knowing the horrible things that you would do in life and he died anyway he's not going to go through the horrible pain of the cross and then let you go once you put your faith in Jesus he holds you and he never lets you go so this morning you don't need to get re-saved you just need to change your response to Jesus and start living a life of worship amen
And for those of us who are hearing and living and walking in a life of worship, then we need to sit and we need to celebrate the reality that we are saved. Just celebrate the reality that our heaven is secure. Celebrate the reality that Jesus loves us. And as long as we're on this earth, there is something he wants to do in us. If he was done with us, then we would be dead and gone on to the next life. God, if you're breathing this morning, he's still wanting to use you. That's what gets me excited. That's what wakes me up every day that I get to live my life for the cause of Jesus Christ, that I get to raise my, my kids and be a husband and preach to you and have a calling. I get to do the things that Christ has called me to do because he loves me and he's never finished with me. And when he is, we'll all know it because I'll be gone. Amen. So this morning, what is your response to Jesus? Don't let anything stop you. And if you need to change it, change it this morning. That's the judgment that matters. That's what he's looking at. How do you respond to the name of Jesus? As we worship, answer that question if you guys will stand.